you're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, episode 26. And today we're talking about tapping into your purpose before you build your business. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Samantha Riley, and I work with thought leaders and experts to help them double their income, their freedom, and their impact to create a business and a life they love. From my business background of 25 years, I've learned there are three key areas to growing a successful business. Your mindset, your talents, and the people you surround yourself with. Here in the Business Lab, we'll interview successful entrepreneurs and deep dive to discover the exact strategies that they have used to build their business so that you can experiment and implement these strategies in your business too. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome to another week of the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Happy Monday. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, as always here in the driver's seat. And today I'm really excited to bring you an interview that I actually did a few months back. Uh, I'm going to let you know that there's some, we had some issues with the internet, so there's a couple of little jumps in there. But the information that today's expert delivered was so valuable that we have put those little things aside and we've published it anyway. So what we're talking about today is building a life of purpose. So many people come to me and say, you know, this is what I really, really want to be doing with my life. And they're unsure how to do it, how to move forward. So today I interview Ian Ugarte, who is going to be sharing how he has built purpose before business. So he's the founder of the Australian Housing Initiative. He's a property expert. He's an educator, an author, a change maker, and he's Australia's leading micro apartment rooming and boarding house specialist. What I love about Ian is he's doing all of this with this amazing intention of bringing back genuine connection of community through the provision of housing diversification. Now, Ian talks about something that's very close to my heart. It's a situation that I was in a few years ago, and I just, you know, there's so much gold in this episode, not just in what he's doing, but I want you to really think about how you can take what we chat about today and apply it into your business with what you really want to be doing in your life. What's your purpose? What are you really here to be doing? So I bring you, without further ado, Ian Ugate. Good morning, Ian. So great to have you here in the Thought Leaders Business Lab today and welcome. I'm really looking forward to what we're going to chat about. Great start. Yes, I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> Just <laughs> quickly dropped out, but you know, that's, that's the great NBN that the, the Australian government has produced for us. So hopefully we'll, we'll go well through it. Oh, NBN. Oh my goodness. I was just talking to the guy at Vodafone about NBN on the weekend. <laughs> yes. Uh, don't, don't start me. No, no, let's not start there. Anyway, I'm so glad to have you here today. We're going to talk about some really, really cool stuff and some of the amazing things that you've got going on. Yeah, look, um, it's, it's been an interesting period of time for me, definitely in the last eight, nine years. So, so I'm excited to talk about it. Why don't you give us a really quick overview about what you're doing right now? What I mean, you've got a, a project, small list the new big why don't you tell us about that before we get started 
Yeah, sure. That all came about um, essentially because I started I started my time as a plumber. I come from a family of plumbers. My dad's a plumber. My brother's a plumber. My nephew's a plumber. My brother-in-law's a plumber. Um, and I often say my mother's a plumber, but she's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's more of a brickies labourer. And um, I always talk about, um, you know, going through that business and deciding that I didn't, I had the opportunity to join their business um, as a shareholder and I decided against it because I didn't want to work as hard as they did. So I went and started my business. And so as you know, when you start your own business, you work twice as hard as anyone else. So I, I actually was fortunate. I made my way into Take New South Wales as a teacher, loved my job to absolute pieces. I just love teachers. So uh, teaching, so I'm, I'm a plumber builder and I have a degree in teaching as well. One day I walked up the stairs to my job, my office and it was the 27th of January 2010 and I had a new boss and within two days he had stripped and torn my wall to pieces and my problem back then was that we had started investing in property, we were negative geared and so every Monday morning basically $692 came out of my pocket to pay banks interest and extra costs before I could even feed my wife and kids. And so I had to find a way out. I went out and did education because I didn't educate myself before we started investing. And then we ended up um, 13 months later in a position where I was no longer needed in pay and paid employment. So what we were doing in property was enough for me to, to, um, to do what we do. And so everything was streaming along. I left work in 2011. And 2013, I got up one morning um, just really, really unhappy. And, and when I say unhappy, I mean to the stage where, you know, we're talking today and it was a possibility that I wouldn't have been. And I always had chased for 40 years, I'd chased the dollar and I thought that I wanted to be rich. And then I worked out that rich people have a lot of money and wealthy people have time and the right headspace to enjoy it. New Big was born. Um, and Small is the New Big is actually about bringing back the, the genuine community connection that we want to create by providing elegant and quality housing diversification. So different styles of housing that actually benefit the community, make them intermingle and, you know, eventually bring back what we had in the 70s and 80s. So essentially Small is New Big is about actually bringing back community. Wow. What I love about that and when we originally chatted, the reason I asked to ask you if you would like to come on the show was because everything that we talked about was all about you seeing a problem, which is what entrepreneurs do, see a problem and go, how can we fix this? Can yeah. you take us more into what was it that you could actually see around community, around what was happening in the property space at that time that took you down this path? The thing about the Australian housing problem that we've got and so we've started 23 businesses in 23 years so we're serial entrepreneurs we weren't really successful until about the 15th and we run seven businesses out of our office now and that's the smallest new big umbrella on that day in 2013 we decided to create a slogan for ourselves that said it needs to make sense before it makes dollars so that is it needs to benefit community first and secondly it needs to make money because if it doesn't do both we can't do the project and we can sit at home and go broke we don't have to go and do property deals to do that so when we first started building we realized that there was a big problem in the marketplace and the marketplace was that Australia builds the largest houses in the world at 246 square metres. And in each one of those houses is only two and a half people. Mm -hmm. And tonight, when we go to bed, we've got 12 million empty bedrooms in Australia. And if I took my team of builders from Australia to Hong Kong and I asked them to build an Australian house in Hong Kong, I can fit 22.6 Hong Kong houses in one Australian house. Wow. So 
where we got to was 1960 was probably the tipping point where a standard house was a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house that had a family of 3.8 in it, say mm -hmm. four, mm -hmm. and um, they lived comfortably. They played with the people out in the street. And then, you know, and most of those houses were built by a guy called LJ Hooker. Uh, yes. before he became a real estate agent. And then A.V. Jennings and Masterton came in and then they added the extra dining room and the extra lounge room and the double garage and the patio. And we turned ourselves into a situation where all of a sudden we're, we've got this thing that we need to create these massive houses. And so we saw the problem. And the, the problem was um, extended even further, something going on in the marketplace which really, really tore my heart to pieces. And that was that... We built, um, so what we do is we take existing housing stock or we build new housing stock. Now, we build them exactly the same size or we retrofit the same size, but we create micro apartments within the same house. So there's policies across the country that had been laid dormant since the 80s, 70s and 80s, which I'll say it is rooming house and boarding house policies. Now, when we think about boarding houses, we always think about the low end, low socioeconomic, the bikies, the druggies, the criminals, you know, all of that sort of stuff starts to raise some people. But what we do is we create self-contained studio apartments within the same house and they share a communal area. And it's, a, it's benefit all the way around. But what we didn't realise was when we started to build these, that the demand was huge from all ages, but more significantly, we'd get a knock on the door and there standing in front of us is a 50 plus single woman. Um, and we said to her, so can you tell me um, please why you're actually applying for one of our studios? Well, I've been in marriage for 30 years. I don't have any rental history because I've had my own house, but I can't afford to live. And so these are women that were told at the age of 20 or 30 to find a guy with a job, your man is your plan, Mm -hmm. They started work, they got pregnant, they left the workplace for a short period of time, they had a second child and all of a sudden, 18 months later, they're damaged goods and they they've lost their skill set, which is beyond me. I don't understand mm -hmm. how the Australian employer, employers can think that. So they go through their life, they run the house, they um, take kids everywhere, they organise better than any CEO, any man CEO that can actually do their job. They multitask, they handle finances, they do the whole lot. The children grow up, they leave home, and she looks across at the husband and he looks at her and she says, I'm out. And he says, you want out? Leave. Or here's 100K out of the millions of dollars wealth that we have. And you know what? They've just had enough. And as you said, um, mm -hmm. and as I know, in a similar situation, some of them walk away with nothing. To find that that problem was existent, I didn't realise it was existent until they started to appear. And they live in our properties. They're the most stable um, resident to have. They become the adopted mothers in there. And they tell you when something's wrong. They make sure the place is kept clean. Um, you know, I, I often, and I'll, I'll give you um, an upfront warning, I'm going to lose it here and I can't tell this story without losing it. About two years ago, uh, our family put a list of things together that we wanted to get out of what we called our Mary Poppins. We wanted an adopted grandmother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Christine and I were travelling a lot, uh, the kids, you know, we just wanted someone stable rather than having to, you know, find out places. And um, a lady named Rebecca, uh, she, I'm losing it already, a lady named Rebecca 
um, answered the ad, not because she was looking for anything. She was actually looking to do a real estate agent's license. And because we're in real estate, we had listed. Now, we were very specific about what we were looking for. Um, eye color, hair color, type of dress, type of, um, you know, music that she played, the, you know, the instrument that she played and um, her background and how many children she had. Like, it was very, very specific. And Rebecca turned up and we met her and she ticked every box. So we went, all right, let's just see what the universe brings to us and let's go with this. So she started to work in our office and, and she's now full-time with us. And about eight or nine months into her working with us, she brought in some, some yogurt, some koyo yogurt. Now we're paleo, so you know she knows we don't do dairy. And mm-hmm. um, on top of this paleo yogurt, the koyo yogurt, it had not for retail sale. And I said to her, what's, what's going on there? And she says, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say. And I said, well, please, I, I'm, like, I want to know. And she says, well, I'm actually living under someone's house in not the greatest of conditions and feeling a little bit vulnerable. I lost my business because of the GFC and I get food coupons to be able to go down the shop and get this stuff because I can't afford to live. And for me... Like, you know, you get those moments in your life where you're just devastated that here we are trying to fix a housing problem and right under our nose we're sitting the, the biggest problem. So we um, quickly made a change to that. We, she lives in one of our properties now, so she's got her own one-bedroom self-contained area um, in one of our properties. And she's, our, she's just the most amazing employee. She's so beautiful. We just, we just love her to pieces. And she picked us up um, about three or four months ago and she picked us up at the airport and she got up and said, go out and said hello. And I jumped in the driver's seat and she sat in the back and she's telling us the stories about the five days that she just spent with our daughters. And our second, second eldest is just so quiet. She's just ridiculously quiet and you can't get boo out of her. And Rebecca started telling us a story about how she told us and told her about a day at school and some of the things that she was liking and some of the things she was worried about. And I just sat in the, in the driver's seat and just cried because, you know, here you are in this moment of time knowing that, um, that, that she, we didn't do anything for Rebecca except put an opportunity in front of her and she had the strength like she has for the last 40 years to take advantage of that and put it into her realm. And as a consequence, we're forever grateful because of what she does in our life um, forever. And, you know, I, I think about those, those women every night that are sleeping in cars all over the place and I think, you know, I'm sleeping in a comfortable bed tonight and I can't be comfortable until all of them are in a position that they're also sleeping in a comfortable bed. So that's when we put together, and I've spoken a lot here, I know, Samantha, I'm sorry. Um, so that's when we put together our, our big, hairy, audacious goal, our vision of creating 1 million self-contained accommodation homes by December 2027. Mm. And what that will do is actually change this marketplace so that property can be affordable again. And mm. that is our big play. That's our big play. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's just amazing. And my brain is going in a million different directions right now <laughs> because this is a problem. And where I see the opportunity here and where other people can, like not only is there, you know, what you're doing, but I want people to start thinking, what's, what's the opportunity that's right underneath your nose that everyone else has not even noticed is there? Because what you have picked up with these women is something that intrigues me so much because it's such, those women are in such a, a vulnerable place 
They're very ashamed because they've, they've, you know, they're not, they're very proud. It's not that they've done anything wrong uh, and you've picked up this problem. And I, I know this problem. I know people that are in these situations and it's more than I think most people realize. So what is it that's, that's right under your nose that you haven't even noticed is there that is something that you can do to completely change the face of what's happening? And not only is there this problem right now, but there is, I'm going to say an opportunity from a business perspective, but there oh, is yeah. something coming up in the next few years, it's not actually that far away, that most people don't realize is that most consultancy positions with the introduction of AI, employers are going to go from the model at the moment of, of employing full-time consultants to hiring them on project-based, on, on projects. So this problem that you've already picked up is going to absolutely explode in the next two to three to 10 years. People that have worked, and these are not people that have just come out of school. These are people that have worked maybe 25, 30 years that have a mortgage that are, that are just getting by that all of a sudden are not going to have full-time employment and still need to pay that mortgage. You know, so, and often those, things, often those things that are right under your nose comes from a point of being really agile and being able to pivot and change a direction quickly. Mm. And I think, I think after starting so many businesses, that's one of the tools that we learnt, that you're in, this, you're in this place and you think, how do I actually move and, and create a decision instead of doing the same old, same old as everyone else does? What do we do that needs to actually create a marketplace? Now, I think that hollow existence that I had previously was all based around the fact that this drive for money is something that the, I can't put, I won't put a percentage on it, but there's a large percentage of people that drive for money. Mm -hmm. And the outcome, the outcome of what's happened in our business is that when we stopped driving for money, there's more money appeared. And that was because our direction changed to where, and focus changed to where we wanted to do good. Um, and, and a lot of people say to me, oh, yeah, no, if you're doing so well, why don't you just donate housing? Well, that would stop me dead in my tracks because eventually I would need the housing if I just gave it all away. You know, as a, as a really classic example, we've got ourselves to a position where we have just um, purchased 11 villas. They're one-bedroom villas. They're all got over 65-year-olds in there. Now, the average 70-year-old is living on about $399 per week income when, you know, rents, you know, are, are nothing. Oh. You know, you can't, you can't get anything under three or $400, right? So mm-hmm. they're essentially every week living just to pay rent. Yes. Um, and then, then they're worrying about paying bills and, pay, and buying food. You know, so you get, so, so we bought the 12. Three of them have lifetime tenure in there. So that is they pay $60 a week. The normal rent in the area is 190 So they're saving more than $100 plus a year um, and they can't be kicked out. They're in a position where we won't, we, we've put ourselves in a position where we can't kick them out. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we make out of the other nine, we make enough profit out of those and they're still below market rent to be able to subsidise those three. And so when one of them goes to a nursing home or one of them passes away, we then put ourselves in a position where we'll interview another one and put them into that place. You know, we've got young people that, and, and this is the thing I always say to people in the business sense, what is it? That you, like you just said, that fills a marketplace that no one else is touching it. You know, we could talk about the Ubers and the Airbnbs and all of that of the world, but really 
the, the focus in the next three to 10 years, like you say, is actually looking forward and saying, how can we best benefit our business by meeting the needs of those people that are going to, re- that, that are going to rely on other people? And mm-hmm. that's like Rebecca, she doesn't rely on us, but what opportunity can you put in front of other people? So, um, you know, one of the classic things I always say is, it's beyond me. It's beyond me that an employer would not um, take on a 50-year-old person, you know. Mm. Um, so in our office alone, I mean, I presume that the average age in our office is about 45 to 50 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, we recently had um, a job that we put up and we had we ended up with two final. One was a 19 or 20, 21-year-old and one was a 46, 47-year-old. Um, we took the 47-year-old um, because I know that, and, and for different, different reasons, but one of them is, at 5.30 in an afternoon, when I really need something done, when we've got someone that needs to find a home, when we've got um, a deadline to meet or a seminar to be booked, I know that that person will still be sitting in his office and going, I've already run the wife, um, the kids are all got picked up and we're good, I can stay here for a little bit longer. And that effectively, and we've got this beautiful family in our office, and, and, and again, you know, what is that opportunity for the next three to 10 years when all these people, because of AI, are going to be on consultancy based, um, what security, what way can you actually meet that need and meet the target of the community so that you benefit, they benefit, and, and ultimately, you know, the, the government benefits because when you fulfil the role of stepping in and making someone happy, you now have a huge impact on the marketplace because they're not depressed, they're not lonely, they don't get sick, they don't, um, you know, put a force on the health industry. Um, you know, that they they have a home, and and this is what the short term government views don't get to see. What mm. what you and I, Samantha, can do for the community, and of course the listeners that are listening now, what can they do to make a benefit to the community? Totally. So let's. I I want to explore this more for, through the eyes of a business owner now. Sure. So people that are listening and going, okay. So what opportunities do I have in my business moving forward? And there's something you said right at the beginning that rich people have money and wealthy people have time. I've never heard that before and that is absolutely genius because yeah. time is the greatest currency that we have. We, we, we can make more money, we can have less money, but we can't make more time. We've only got this many hours on the planet and that's that. Our time's done. Yeah, I mean, leverage is an interesting thing. And leverage for me is actually about sharing your time for other people to learn so that they can get a benefit out of their life. And within our company, we're very strong around leveraging time. I think there's some, for the business owners out there, I would say to them, invest in the people that are in your business in a way that actually wants them to stay. Firstly, culture. Like, what is it? If someone walks into your workplace and they're not feeling good or they're feeling anxious as soon as they walk through that door, you've got a culture problem. And if you make them happy, if you make this office laughs all day long, it's nonstop. Like Rebecca sits in the corner and my aim of the day is just to make her laugh, just to watch her laugh because her laughing makes me laugh, right? Mm. And so that's the first thing. Culture is an important thing. Um, And then the second thing about that is that to keep someone in a business, you have to create culture and incentives. So for me, 
I can go in and I can train up someone to do what we do in property and development to handle because we only have limited time, right? So with limited time, if I was going to train someone to how to, how to handle the development process from feasibility all the way through to handover a brand new property, and it takes me three or four years to, to get that person up to scratch. So for us, we effectively say to them, okay, what is it that we can do in our business? So let's, let's actually profit share. You're, you're here. I want to keep you here. I want to train more people, but I don't want to lose you. So let's stay here. And how can we actually benefit? Now, there's plenty of incentive-based schemes around, but what's the cultural base of that? Um, you know, you look at, God forbid, AMP at the moment. They've got a, you know, benefit to their, to their but they tie them in and they basically um, hold a, a big wand over the top of them and create this spell to say, well, if you do want to do an incentive-based program, that's great, but you're going to have to sign up for the next 10 years you know, your culture and your incentive-based program will be enough to keep them there if it's right. And, you know, people's circumstances change and that happens all the time. But effectively, like I said, Rebecca's just about to get into her first base, her first property because of the incentive-based program that we run for our employees so that they get a better lift. So so my, my advice to um, business owners is um, definitely look at the possibility of creating a culture, um, a branding that really comes from your heart since since 2013 and and it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger this business runs and your business runs completely from the heart and what happens when you run your business from the heart is that those people that don't run or are associated to your business whether they be suppliers or consultants whatever end up in a values-based argument in their own head and they drop off they disappear um, you may have arguments with them and the argument will be based on values mm. and they will disappear and in their place because of the energy that you put out there and, you know, we're starting to get into spirituality and what you put out to the universe makes other people appear in your life that start to fill a void much greater than the one that was left by that previous money-focused person. And as, a, as, a, as an example, we had, you know, we've got a team around the country that assists us, so they're not in our business. We basically say to support our tribe, here's an agent, here's a designer, here's, you know, here's a, a planner or a few other. And this one guy couldn't get it through his head that I get up every day just to watch people change. That's my thing. And there is no amount of money that can actually feed me enough to tick that box. And he couldn't get that through his head. So lo and behold, you know, something happened from an integrity position and he dropped away. Um, the person that is going to fill in will be someone who has real heart, that has real drive, that has real passion to actually fix a community issue um, and from that something will come. So the other point I would make is if you're going to run a business and you've already said it, in the next three to two, ten years, you have to have a community-based, heart-focused business. Only way you're going to succeed. Totally. And what I heard there was being know your values inside and out. So because, you know, your focus goes where energy flows. And if you're not 100% certain on what your values are, then that's where, th where you can attract people in and you may not realize that things aren't going down the right path as you were able to pick up quite quickly. And the yeah. other piece that I picked up in there was uh, was collaboration with your team is, is what I heard. A lot of us think and understand the value of collaboration with other entrepreneurs, with other business owners, but it's coming into that mindset of collaborating with the team and creating together. What can we do to come together to create something that's even bigger? 
because as entrepreneurs, as thought leaders and experts, we, we ha- we're big vision people. That's the way that we are. But to yeah. bring in these other people to be able to see your vision, but to also be able to bring their own perspective and understand how those visions can come into play with the smaller pieces is super valuable. Yeah. And, and you bring up a really, you bring up for me a really good point that your business should be your only focus. If you're worried about competition and they have the same values, team up with them. There is enough of a, there's enough of any marketplace for you to be able to do well with someone working alongside and still be competitive with them. If you have that business and you're worried about only yourself and your company and your values, then you will be the best. You know, we talk, often talk about Ziff's law, and I'm not sure if you talk about if you know about Ziff's law, but Ziff's law basically is if I gave you um, the three most favourite types of um, ice cream flavours available on the market, people will say strawberry, chocolate and vanilla. Mm-hmm. Vanilla is usually number one um, for most people when you, do the, when you do the survey. And vanilla will be more popular than chocolate by 50%. And chocolate is more popular than strawberry by 50%. So when you talk about Ziff's law, if you're first into the marketplace, you cannot be beaten as long as you follow your values and don't worry about anyone else. And the classic example we always use is Ericsson and Nokia. They were phone companies that in Ziff's law had 100% or 50% more share than um, the one above it. And the only way to change Ziff's law is to change the game. And what happened was the game was changed because a guy produced a music player that could hold 10,000 songs and mm. added a phone to it and mm. he changed the game. And as we know, Nokia and Ericsson are basically gone, you know. Or we, remember the Kodak moment? The Kodak moment oh used to be God. that time where you take a photo and Kodak went from a billion-dollar company to broke. And, and what most people don't know is Kodak actually developed the first digital pixel camera and took one pixel and it took... Um, I think it was six hours to take a photo, but they shelved the technology because they were worried about their competitors taking over the old camera slot. 18 months it took them and they were gone. So, yeah, absolutely, you know, yeah. So, so don't worry about your competitors. Go straight out and do what you need to do. Yeah, and I love that you said that. I did a... I actually did a post on that only last week. The worst piece of advice I ever got was to know my competitors and know what they were doing. (laughs) And it was the worst piece of advice. So I love that you brought that up. (laughs) Um, And the other thing that I wanted to touch on there, because this is something that I haven't talked about, is where you're saying coming together with someone else that's doing what you do, if your values align coming together. I originally had this conversation with Peter Bain from Hands Across the Water, which is a fabulous charity, a couple of years it. ago. And he's an amazing man. If you, um, if you want to, I'll actually hook up Hands Across the Water in the show notes because it's a brilliant I've charity. Actually don- I've actually donated um, a lot to him. So, yeah, yeah. Through, brilliant, through, brilliant. Again, again, through an affiliate program. And so for every sale that we made, that affiliate said, look, actually, I don't need the money and I don't want the money, but can you donate my affiliate money to um, that charity? And I said, absolutely, no problem. Oh, at all. And, 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 we, and, we ma- and we matched it dollar for dollar. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. The children in Thailand, thank you. <laughs> I reached out to him and he, he gave me some of his time, which I know is very valuable. 
which I was very generous for. And the conversation was around charities because there's a lot of, a lot of um, entrepreneurs understand this, this contribution piece that the world is changing and we're here to create something good. And what a lot of people are doing is starting up their own charities. And I had a great conversation with him where he said, in actual fact, that's the worst thing you can do. There's already people oh, out there. Uh, and, I, <laughs> and, and I really want to touch on this because he really changed my way of thinking. He's like, yeah. people are already out there. They've already... They've already got the systems, the processes, the, oh, my goodness, talking to the governments of these countries, whatever it is. He said, don't start your own charity. Go, if you really, really want to help, go and find someone who's doing what it is that you want to do and help them because it's not just going to doubly help them, it's going to act exponentially help them and that we should all be coming together because... You know, there's already millions of registered charities out in the world. We should be already going to those people and actually, you know, putting our heads together. And I wanted to touch on that because it's something that I, I haven't really talked about a lot. And after chatting with Peter, he completely changed my mind on charities. And I don't need to feed my own ego by starting my own not-for-profit. Exactly. Having my own. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm doing it because I want to help people. So it's going and finding yeah. the people and helping and I've been. I've been banging on this at this about, about that exact point for years. Every time I see someone says, oh, I want to start a charity, I want to help the homeless, and I want to do that, I just go, there's plenty of them out there. Um, I think that sometimes time is much more valuable. So mm-hmm. I sit on um, a couple of boards for the disability support services to create, like my view is that government should never supply a dollar towards um, housing. They shouldn't supply only money towards certain areas. They should create policy to allow private industry entrepreneurs to fill a marketplace that's far more efficient than the government way of doing things and then that way we can fix problems because when you open it up to the private marketplace with some stability and obviously some governance we're in a position where we can help out now there's that i give my time to the disability support services is because i've got a skill set of being able to stack and pull a deal together and what I want them to be is self-sufficient without any grants from government. If, if I can leave, leave when I do leave as a board member, knowing that financially, that the income that comes on from the properties that they own, not only help their clients, but actually make them money so they can continue to work on doing more and more and more, then my job is done and I don't have to start my own charity, like you said, to tick box my ego because that most of the time is why people want to start a charity. True people of Warriors and Charity are, uh, are amazing people. It would be great for you to interview a guy from Substation 33. He um, went to a company, um, who, so he worked for a charity and he basically said to this charity, I think that we've got an opportunity here to fix a couple of problems. My focus as a youth worker is to get people into jobs and get kids into the jobs. So I also know that there's a problem with electronic waste going to landfill. So I've come up with this. I've actually set it all up. I'm ready to go. I've got a lease. I want to be able to produce a factory that takes all this electronic equipment, pulls it to pieces, recycles it, and at the same time, work for the doll. People can actually come in disabled, people that are, you know, drug affected or youth at risk or the old that are actually lonely. He put last year 450 people through this small factory, 350 square metres. They recycled 15,000 
ton of electronic waste. Only 6% of it went to landfill. They produce in that factory a, a 3D printer out of all the parts for $63. Wow. They're working with the Bureau of Meteorology to produce a $100,000 water testing float that's radio frequency that sends details to, to GPS and back onto their computers. Normally cost hundred grand. they are producing them for $3,000. They built a bank of batteries from recycled batteries out of computers that is better than a Tesla wall for $1,000. Now, he said to, and they employ 12 people full-time that aren't allowed to work on the chain. they only allowed to mentor and show other people how to do what they do. And most of them came through the door when they were at risk. So this guy, every time it makes a profit, he employs another person. Because for him, the social enterprise that he's created is more about the youth and their jobs and being able to get them into a better spot. And the guy is just amazing. He doesn't want to be known. He doesn't want the publicity. It just, he's there solely for one purpose. And that is the true essence of a, a social enterprise entrepreneur. The guy's amazing. Yeah, oh, definitely reach out. And I love it that entrepreneurs are starting to think about charities as being sustainable and self-sufficient because if we, if the government gives some money, this the money's got to come from somewhere rather than having this self-sufficient model that is like a business. We can give you fish or we can teach you how to fish. Something, um, yeah, there know, we go. Yeah. We can tell who the smarter person is here. <laughs> yeah. but it's no, so I think we're both as smart as each other, really. <laughs> I'm just fucking no good at core remembering quotes. But I think that's the way it needs to go. So, And a great way to do that is, again, coming back to what you talked about before by knowing your values. Know your values and think about what's really important to you and go and find a charity that's already doing what you want to do and go and help them and make it even better. Absolutely. There's already one, there's definitely already one out there doing exactly what you want. Just piggyback onto the side of them and go for your life. Ian, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I'm very aware that we've spent a lot of time talking and I know that you've got a, a public holiday up there and we've said that wealthy people have time. So I'm very aware that I've taken quite a bit of your time already. But what is, what is a takeaway or what is something that you want to leave our listeners with in relation to everything that we've talked about? You know, we mentioned a lot of stuff about business people and what should they be, should be focused out. What I'll finish with is, is a small story about why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, remember that what we're about is actually bringing back the genuine community connection by creating elegant housing, quality housing that people want to live in and are comfortable in the community. And I often tell this story that um, when I grew up, I lived in the street in Sydney and um, I was Australian-born with my family um, as Spanish immigrants. There was rendered, it was rendered, spackle render, and it had arches and bars on the window and different floor tiles in every room and very much the typical wog house. <laughs> but next door, next door was a typical cladded three-bedroom, two-bedroom home. And my Auntie Carmel, for different reasons um, within my, my mother's life, would get me up for school. She'd feed me, get me ready and get me off to school. And my Auntie Carmel, it wasn't until about the age of 11 that I realised that my Auntie Carmel, and I often say this, the white chick next door because, you know, I have olive skin and she didn't. I only realised at the age of 11 she wasn't my real auntie. I just thought she was part of my family. And effectively, she was more part of my family than my blood aunties because that woman was there for me every day. 
making sure I did the wrong thing, give me a smack on the bite, and if I did, did um, you know, something that wasn't quite right. It really affected me about five years ago, about the same time I woke up and, you know, from when I say woke up, I woke in, up into consciousness of community because when she passed away, um, I really felt the loss of a family member. And I hadn't seen her for a few years and, and here I was in, you know, a little bit devastated about that, that moment in time. And so no longer do we play with the kids out in the street. No longer do we um, watch the neighbours across the road. Community's been lost in this country. There's pockets of it. But what we need to do is continue to create a community outcome where everyone watches out for each other, regardless of whether you like them or not. You know, the guy across the road that also always used to get upset because we kicked the ball into his front yard. You know, the day he tripped over, every neighbour from all over the street came and said, are you all right? Made sure he got into a car, made sure he got to hospital. And that just doesn't happen anymore. And, um, and ultimately, in any business, whatever you do, create community as your central point of focus and everything from there will benefit way beyond what you could ever imagine and believe. So my, my last message is bring back genuine community, whether it be in your own family, whether it be in your company or whether it be what you're trying to produce, that will ultimately be the best outcome for you. I love it. It was a beautiful way to wrap up a fantastic episode. There was just so much gold in there. I can't wait to go back and listen to it again. <laughs> so if you want to have a look at what Ian's doing, head over to smallestthenewbig.com.au. I think it's absolutely fabulous. From all the people that you've helped, I'm sure they all say thank you to you, Ian. Thank you to what you and your beautiful wife, Christine, is doing. And thank you for being here in the Business Lab today and being part of our tribe and our community. That's a pleasure. And obviously what you you do in your business um you know i'm very i'm very frugal with the podcast that i do do and i'm wrapped that um i was asked by you to do this uh so continue doing what you do thank you very much thank you so much do you want to grow and scale your business so you can make an even bigger impact one of the reasons i've been able to achieve the success i have over the years can be attributed to one simple factor Surrounding myself with like-minded people, people who think big like me, who have a desire for growth and who understand the challenges we face when growing and scaling a business. That's why I've created a free community, especially for thought leaders and experts just like you, and I'd love you to join us. Just request access to my free Facebook group at Thought Leaders Inner Circle. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love you to share this on your favorite social account. Just head to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast, click on your favorite episode and you'll see the buttons right there to share the love. And as this show is new, I would love, love, love you to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Business Lab.